What's going on ladies and gents, Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have a special guest Meg from Bacon and Megs on Instagram. How are you, Meg? Not bad. How are you? I am doing wonderful. Doing wonderful. I actually was introduced to, to your platform on Instagram from Fat for Weight Loss, and he had nothing but great things to say about you and great story. So I'd love to kind of just flesh that out because I think what you have to talk about, a lot of people can you know relate with. And I, I've struggled with a lot of it myself. And I just really kind of want to hear your take on it and just dive into that chapter of your life if you're willing. Yeah, sure. That's no problem at all. Yeah. So just give us a little little intro kind of bio. Sure. Um, so I am one of those people who had always struggled with my weight. Um, I, you know, I talked about this with Aaron quite a bit too, where, you know, I, I first realized, um, I was a, a, you know, I was born in 1986. So I was sort of, I sort of predate that era of there being a lot of overweight children. Um, childhood obesity wasn't quite as prevalent, um, then as it is now. Um, so when I was in elementary school in particular, you know, there were, there was like one, one chubby kid in a class and, uh, that was me for most of my childhood. Um, I remember first being aware of being overweight when I was about four years old, when I was in preschool. And, um, yeah, like I said, it was, uh, it was definitely something that made you stand out more so then than it probably does today. Um. So, you know, I was just very aware of that kind of growing up. Um, and uh, it, it made me a, a quite shy, introverted kind of person, I think. Um, you know, it's, it's tough to want to put yourself out there and, and be vulnerable when it comes to, you know, giving presentations in school or even going to parties and things if you kind of feel like the odd man out in that way. So... Um, fortunately for me, I, I was able to make, you know, I wasn't a person who had a lot of friends, but the friends that I did have were pretty solid friends. Um, even though there was quite a bit of, uh, bullying and, and that kind of stuff, um, as a child, you know, I always had like a core group of buddies to rely on. Um, you know, I spent all the way up through middle school, middle school was particularly tough for me, um, being overweight or even probably being able to be classified as obese, um, went through high school, kind of the same. Um, I think I'd always just sort of assumed that my weight was a part of who I was. Um, I never really saw it as something that could be, uh, I guess addressed in a way. Um, it just kind of became mm -hmm. a part of, you know, it was like my hair color, my eye color. I was, you know, I was obese or I was, well, I guess more colloquial, colloquially, I was fat. Um, and uh, so I just assumed that there'd be no point in working on it because it was just, it was who I was. Um, I did go through some periods um, where... I kind of got this idea that like I could maybe be more active or maybe eat less. Um, but it, it just never, I, I never really stuck with it. Um, and I grew up with two parents who have very sort of weird relationships with food. 
themselves. So I feel like I, I didn't have what, a what great was, example. What was your like nutrition and, and lifestyle like, you know, during that time? Like, were you eating foods that you thought were healthy and it just wasn't working for you? Or what was your like a well, typical day? I guess that's the thing is that like we always had, we didn't go out to eat. Um, we didn't really have a lot of money, um, like, you know, extra money. My mom stayed at home with me and my dad was the only one working. So we ate all homemade food, um, but it it's, my dad is a commercial roofer. Um, so he's a very, very, very big eater. Um, and, you know, he was a part of that whole clean plate club generation. So he would mm-hmm. fill my plate like he would fill his and I I was supposed to eat it all. And I learned very early to just kind of push past any sort of signals that, you know, that's the one thing that people talk about with keto, right, is that it changes the signal to noise ratio in your body. So you, you know, it gets rid of a lot of that noise and you can hear the signals. And um, so I feel like I was kind of conditioned from an early age to sort of ignore those signals. Um, but yeah, we we always had homemade food. We always had great food. It was just too much food for a child to be eating, um, really. Mm-hmm. And um, then you know, I as everyone sort of has like those issues that pop up through their life. You know, I had some some traumatic events and kind of turned to food as a, as a bit of a crutch. And my binge eating started probably when I was seven or eight, and then. It kind of just, you know, the weight kind of spiraled from there. I think I, I reached that point at like nine or 10 where I started to get really tall. And if things had been addressed a little bit differently, I probably would have just stretched out and all would have kind of balanced. Um, but unfortunately that didn't work out that way. So I, um, I was kind of, you know, saddled with these issues through adolescence and, you know, this was in the low fat days. So the, the nutrition advice was kind of all wrong and everything. So that didn't help. But um, yeah, I got through, got through high school, got through college and grad school, you know, with the same sort of weight issues carried through. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's, it was really a, a lifetime struggle for me. Um, when I do the math now, um, well, I'll get to that later. but. Um, yeah, just, uh, you know, people always ask me kind of how I got started with weight loss. Um, and my real answer to that is I have no idea what made me start on the day that I decided to start. Um, it was just one of those things I had uh, been browsing Reddit and um, the Lose It subreddit. Um, people would post progress mm-hmm. pictures. And my issue was, and I, I talked about this before, it it was like um you know growing up watching all of those uh talk shows and you know the segments on the news about people losing weight the messaging was always that that it was possible to lose the weight but that most people gained it back um so i had developed this sort of mindset of like well i'm perfectly happy eating all of this junk food in the moment um i may not be physically comfortable but I don't really see a point in, you know, working super, super hard on losing all this weight if I'm just going to end up gaining it back anyway. So that was sort of like my Mm -hmm. narrative, I guess my excuse in my head for why I didn't take that first step was that, um, 
you know, one, it would be difficult. And two, it was almost pointless because everybody gained it back anyway. Um, but then, you know, once I discovered Reddit, I was seeing posts from people and that was the thing too. So I guess to really, um, drive the point home, um, I'm only five foot three and, uh, at my highest weight, I was 318 pounds. Um, and mm-hmm. that may have even been lower than my actual highest, but that was the first time I remember stepping on the scale in this whole process. Um, so that is significantly morbidly obese. I don't know if that's like class four or whatever, but um, very, very heavy for my height. Um, and uh, so it was it was unusual for me to see people, even on the Lose It subreddit, who had starting weights that high. Um, you know, men obviously, but not, not shorter, um, smaller framed women, certainly. And so, you know, I started seeing all these posts of, of women too, posting their progress. Um, and, and even coming back like a year later, having maintained that, um, even if it was, you know, they started at 320 and now we're at 220 they were maintaining that or they were able to. And, um, so I think actually seeing, and this is why I joined Instagram in the first place was, um, being able to see people who looked like me doing the thing that I wanted to do, um, was pivotal in getting me started. Um, I guess it's kind of like anything else, right? Like if you see someone who looks like you or, I'm sure you've seen this in the bodybuilding world too. Like it's, it's hard to know what you're capable of if you've never seen an example of someone who resembles you in some way achieving that thing. Oh, absolutely. It's a, that that transcends itself into everything. Like even in, you know, like business for instance, or or the YouTube space, like I'll go back and I'll look at, you know, the top YouTubers for instance, and I'll look at their very first videos and it's humbling because they, they started from nothing. And to just see the growth, it makes it much more, you know, realistic in your mind. Where I, okay, I, I could achieve that. You know, if they've done this, they've come this far. I can mimic that. I could replicate that. Um, and then, like you said, the same is true with you know the weight loss um, and the transformation. I mean, being able to relate with somebody that you look up to is absolutely key. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's the same thing with you know yeah, like you said, in in business and in, in anything and to see that it's real people too. It's not, you know, paid, paid spokespeople on an infomercial at three in the morning, you know, kind of hawking these diet pills or, or exercise machines or something like these are real people with real lives, real families, just living a normal existence, but also conquering this, this thing. I mean, you know, it's staring down having to lose almost 200 pounds before you're even in the normal weight range is, is it's, um, it's a daunting task. Um, and it requires a lot of long-term thinking. Um, in total, it took me about six years to, uh, to get the, the weight off. And I'm, you know, and, and that was one of the things, another one of the things that got me started was, um, my mantra for the first heck, even like till today is the time will pass anyway, just knowing that Mm -hmm. I can take steps today to make future me happy 
or devastated. And, but that future me will exist regardless of what I do. Um, you know, barring any major tragedy. Yeah. It's just knowing that, that I'll still be here. I could be a better me or I could be a worse off me, but the me is still going to be present. Um, that was a big shift in my mindset because I mean, I'm sure that like you had periods in life and I know a lot of people do where it's all about today. It's all about right now. And I feel like my experience in obesity was very much about that. Um, every meal was about how it made me feel in the moment. Every action or inaction was about how comfortable I could be right now, regardless of, of how uncomfortable that may make me in the future. Um, and being 320 pounds is extremely physically uncomfortable. Um, I cannot overstate how much better I feel, um, not carrying that around all the time. And so it's, it's kind of crazy when you think about it, that I was so willing to make that trade for so long. Um, it really speaks to the, the idea of inertia. Yeah, it's it's um it's honestly, I think that that concept alone, I mean, you can't stress that enough. Like so many people go through life just overwhelmed at the obstacle in front of them and the time it would take to accomplish that goal that they just avoid it entirely. But you're absolutely right about the time is going to pass anyways. So you might as well be moving the needle in the right direction. I mean, same is true with like right. competition prep, uh, you know, for me as a bodybuilder. But in your situation, you know, knowing that you have 200 pounds to lose to reach an, a normal weight, a healthy weight. I mean, like if, if I was to put myself in those shoes and, and imagine having to lose 200 pounds, like I'd, I'd, it'd be depressing. Like it'd be like, why would I even start? But, you know, you just said it took you six years and that seems like a long time, but six years in, in the entirety of your life. I mean, that's just a blip, you know, that's like, it's nothing. If six years can change the entire outcome of, of every experience you have going forward, it's time well spent. Right. And I was, I was incredibly sick at the time too. So, you know, I think one of the, the realizations that I had, I was 25 when I started. And, um, one of the realizations that I had was I had a lot of, I hadn't been to the doctor in a very long time because I was avoiding it. And, um, I had a lot of the symptoms of type two diabetes. I had skin darkening. I had hypo and hyperglycemia. Um, you know, I would feel like I was going to pass out before a meal. And then immediately after a meal, I would feel the same way. Um, you know, I would eat a whole lot of food and then immediately need to just take a nap. Um, I couldn't walk like half a block. It was just, you know, I was, I was incredibly sick and, I, part of my getting started, I think was just a realization that, um, I probably wouldn't have had that much time left if I kept up with what mm -hmm. I was doing. Um, you know, I hate to put a, a, a time stamp on it, but I was, I was thinking like, would I even make it to 40 at that rate? Um, because I was still kind of gaining weight at that time more and more. So, you know, I, I could have easily ended up and sometimes I am surprised that I wasn't heavier at my at my starting weight than I was given the amount of food that I eat, especially once you start tracking food, you realize um, how 
how quickly it adds up compared to, I mean, I guess it's just like if you spend your money like crazy and then you start keeping a budget, you realize how quickly it can go. Um, it's sort of the mm -hmm. same idea. So, um, but yeah, I was, I, I'm, I'm 99.9% sure that I had full blown type two diabetes. I just hadn't been diagnosed because I didn't go to the doctor. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, and obviously, you know, with, with the weight loss and with keto now, that is a complete non-issue. Um, I never have, you know, I ostensibly was cured, um, through lifestyle changes, which is a huge relief. 25 is extremely young to have type two diabetes. Um, but now you hear more and yeah, more absolutely. often that it's, you know, six, seven year old kids having it. So, um, but that's a whole other thing, but, um, do you have any idea, like, in your tracking now, um, like, do you have any idea what your intake was, you know, at, at, at the at the heaviest, like, if you had to guesstimate what your consumption was, like, do you have any idea? You know, that's really interesting, because I track all of my food now, um, just because um, I'm, I'm staying keto for medical reasons at this point. Um, so I like to have a good idea. And plus, I find that I inherently don't eat enough if I don't track. So... I, um, which I never thought I would have to say in my life. Um, but, uh, that would be a fun experiment. And I think that I might attempt that because I can remember very clearly what a typical day would look like for me. So I'll have to get back to you on that one, but I, it was probably somewhere in the five to 6,000 calorie mark, I would assume, if not higher. Mm -hmm. And some days were worse than others. Oh my goodness. Um, lots of fast food a ton of fast food. Um, you know, I was one of those people who would go to multiple places out of one out of embarrassment for being seen ordering so much food with just one person in the car. Um, or, um, you know, the stuff that I could get at the grocery store that was either pre-made and like ready to heat up or, you know, take out pizza, um, sandwiches, uh, just a lot of convenience food. Um, and it's, it's funny. I grew up with parents who were extremely good, good cooks at home. We had gardens, we had, you know, fresh vegetables, we had meat. And I just, um, I knew how to cook. I knew how to prepare food, but it wasn't palatable. You know, it, it was, it was boring compared to the convenience foods that I could get. And we know why it's because they're manufactured to be that way um but in and knowing now what i know you know after having read um you know the big fat surprise and all of gary tobbs's work and all of that stuff like i could never go back to eating that way because i'm such a stubborn and angry person about the food industry at this point that um i don't even yeah i I don't even see fast food as food at this point. I see it as pure, just, I know lots of people eat it and they feel fine and it's no judgment on them, but I just feel so angry about it that I can't possibly stomach it. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm in the same, but I don't know the last time I had fast food. Um, what are some things, I'm curious, you know, because it's um, like when you were that heavy and you lost all that weight, what are some just differences in your day-to-day -day life? Like you kind of alluded to it being very hard to walk around with that much extra weight on your frame. Like what are some things that, that people may take for granted or don't even realize exist, you know, with someone that, that is carrying that much weight? 
and then to be freed from it, I mean, it just has to be so liberating. Oh, it absolutely is. And that was part of the reason why, um, I became, I'm, I'm pretty, um, I say pretty active. Uh, I work out every day and, uh, I do a lot of endurance exercise. So, um, you know, long, long runs, um, lots of, of just endurance cardio and I lift weights as well. Um, and part of the reason why I'm so active now is because even as a young child, I had dreams about being able to run. Um, I just, I, I've always felt trapped in my physical body. Um, I just, it, it was always just so heavy. You know, I wasn't a kid who could run and jump and play and go on the monkey bars and, um, do all of those things. So, now I, I feel this incredible sense of joy at moving my body. I just, there's nothing like it. Um, I guess it would be, it would be similar to spending years of your life chained up and then suddenly you're free mm -hmm. and you can move around. Um, I was in the hospital a couple of months ago and I was hooked up to an IV for like three or four days. And I would relate it very, it, it was very similar to that experience when they unhooked me from the IV and I could move freely without having to take that stupid cart everywhere. It felt like that, um, where like you, you don't realize how much of a burden it is until it's gone. But, um, just as an example, I guess like getting away from the physical stuff, it's, it's hard to kind of describe the physical stuff. Um, but like Physically, everything on my body was constantly uncomfortable. My feet hurt. My clothes were always not really fitting right. Seams would irritate. Um, things would be, you know, too tight when I sat down. Um, it was just physically very uncomfortable. But one thing that I didn't realize had such an impact on me sort of emotionally was all of the thinking that I had to do about my size in relation to the space around me, um, having to worry constantly about seats being not sturdy enough. Um, my clothes, mm -hmm. you know, my clothes not covering me appropriately, putting pillows over my lap when I sat down so I could hide positioning myself in a room. If I knew someone had a camera and I didn't want my picture taken, it's, um, it's been striking not having all of those worries all the time. Um, it's like a constant low level of anxiety about who you are as a person in physical space. Um, you know, worrying about like where you sit in a yes. restaurant, if people have to push past you to get places. It's just, it's, it's a lot of like mind space that's taken up worrying about all of that. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, um, I, I used to, I, I kind of relate that, that in the sense that I used to have really terrible, terrible acne when I was young in, you know, middle school and high school and even through, you know, college. And, you know, you have like this, this idea in your mind of how you want to be perceived by others. And then you look in the mirror and it's just so far from that, whether it's, you know, being overweight or having really bad acne. And then you're just constantly fixated on it. Like <laughs> same, the same concept as what you were saying, like I would not want to be around a camera. I wouldn't be able to talk to I wouldn't be able to meet them eye to eye because I was just embarrassed with how I looked. And there's just so much energy 
that you put forth in in dealing with that anxiety and to be freed from it like it, it's truly like life changing like when i got my face cleared up it was like i didn't have to spend so much time and effort and energy fixating on that and i could i could only assume the same is true for you yeah absolutely and it 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 also like really has a a severe impact on how I guess like if you assume the worst out of how other people are reacting to you, it causes you to treat people in a different way too. Um, like I, I've talked about this before, but um, I, I used to be extremely intimidated by other people, strangers, people I knew, anybody. Um, because I always just assumed that my weight automatically made me, you know, inferior to them. Um, especially, mm -hmm. especially other women, um, in particular, especially like, uh, women who were in better shape or more, more physically fit. And I still find myself feeling that way sometimes. Um, you know, it's just people, I, I spent so long kind of being afraid of, of the way that people would react to me that I, I sort of, um, as I got physically larger, my world became incredibly small because I mm -hmm. was so embarrassed and so ashamed that I had let things spiral out of control in that way that I really made a lot of effort to minimize my interactions with other people. Um, and I would be very short with them to sort of end end the interaction more quickly. So it, it became really hard for me to, to kind of create genuine friendships and relationships with people just because I, I assumed that they were judging me. So I shut any possibility of that down before it could even be a possibility. It's, it's sad that you have to go that way. You know, like it's, it's sad that we're, we're just conditioned to think the worst of what people think of us. And then that lead to our inability to form a relationship almost, you know? Right. And, and now looking, you know, if, if I have, um, you know, someone in my life who struggles with their weight, I, I had always just assumed that the first thing that people would notice when I walked into a room was how heavy I was. And like, I don't do that to other people now that I'm a healthy weight. So I'm not, you know, it's one of those things we just, we, we see the worst of ourselves and other people, I think sometimes, and then we kind of project how we think that we'll be treated on them and they're not even thinking of us in that way. Um, so I think it's just mm -hmm. one of those things that if you kind of grow up with something that you've been really self-conscious about, it's sort of natural to do, even if it's not the most healthy thing in the world. Definitely. I agree. I agree. What about, um, so, so you, you, you got on the, the subreddits and you were motivated by people that were coming from a similar, you know, starting position as yourself. And like, what happened next? You, you just started eating cleaner or, you know, eating less, exercising more. Like what was the transition there? Um, so I actually started, um, just following the basic recommendations in the lose it subreddit of counting calories. Um, you know, just, just getting started. It wasn't even 
you know, I think a lot of people get stuck in that analysis paralysis thing where they, they're not sure how to start. So they don't start. And for me, I always advocate if you want to do something, just, you know, you don't have to be perfect on day one. Day one can be day one. And then you go from there. So like, I'm really big on course correcting on self awareness, on monitoring as you go. I'm not saying, you know, you wouldn't want to dive into a career as a brain surgeon on day one. But you know, if it's if it's talking about food, you know, just jump in and give it a try, cook something new, do something new. It, it's a very low risk environment. Um, so I I did exactly that. I started I downloaded my fitness pal. And I started tracking my food. Um, and I just did that for a couple of weeks. And then as most people who start kind of on this journey, I realized after it was probably a month or so, I started feeling significantly better. Um, you know, I, I, as I got closer to that 300 pound mark, um, I felt like I was ready to move around a bit more. So I did exactly that. I, um, I downloaded, uh, the couch to 5k app. Um, like I said, I'd always wanted to be someone who could run. So I figured, you know, just start slow with that. Um, I took the program a little bit and just in case anybody's not aware, it's an app or a running program that slowly increases your time spent running as opposed to walking. So you start off in, in intervals of like 30 seconds running and, you know, two minutes walking and they slowly increase over time. And I think I probably repeated most of the weeks at least once because I just felt like at 300 pounds, I wasn't willing to push too much further than, than that. Um, but that was going really well. And I also joined a gym nearby um, and started doing resistance training there. Uh, I wasn't doing the heavy lifting that I do now. I was doing more of the, uh, the cable machines and stuff, just trying to build up um, sort of a base level of muscle. And I think I've always been um, of a more athletic build. Like I've always carried quite a bit of muscle. Um, both of my parents are a little bit more on the muscular side than, than anything. So, um, you know, the, the muscle kind of built up quickly, but I do credit that for minimizing a lot of the issues that a lot of people have when it comes to major weight loss, like loose skin and things. Um, it is still an issue for me, but not as bad as it could be. Um, and yeah, and then um, once this, so all of this started in January of 2012. And then um, by March or April, um, my gym was so close by that I decided to buy a bike. Um, so I could bike to the gym. And that was a really positive move too. And it just became something that was like, uh, something I really enjoyed. Um, it felt incredible to feel physically capable of doing things as a person who so recently, I mean, that was only a, a time span of three months at most to go from mm -hmm. paying $10 every day to park in a parking garage across the street from my office building. So I wouldn't have to walk a block to 
riding my bike, you know, four or five miles each way to get to a gym to go work out and, and then bike back. It just, it became such a, um, honestly, the only word I could think of it, of to describe it is absolutely joyful. Um, it was just such, such a pleasure to be able to move around in those ways. Um, and it just became this, this self-perpetuating cycle of, you know, I knew that I needed to be able to, or I wanted to be able to move my body. So I wanted to eat better to be able to move my body the next day. And it just, you know, from there, it sort of, once it caught on for me, it never really quit. And, um, so yeah, from there, it just, I lost my first 80 pounds in about six or seven months. So by July of 2012, I had already lost about 80 pounds. And, um, that was incredibly motivating as well, knowing that, um, you know, with, with time and with consistency, it was possible. And, uh, that's really the secret mm -hmm. to weight loss or really to, to reaching any goal, right? Even in bodybuilding, it's consistency over time. There's no magic formula to it. That's just how it works. Um, I, I was going to ask when, when did you transition to, to keto? You, you may have been leading into that, but what, what was your nutrition like through this whole time? You weren't keto at the moment, right? I wasn't, but I didn't. So keto wasn't really uh, a thing at that time quite yet. Um, I started seeing it pop up here and there in the Lose It subreddit. Um, but then um, in January of the following year, 2013, it, it was becoming much more popular. And uh, so I started seeing it more and more. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm getting kind of curious about this. It sounds a little crazy, but I've done crazier things before and I'll check into it. So I actually, you know, I, I looked at the, the, the keto ratios and then kind of compared that to my trends in my fitness pal because I had been tracking for a, about a year at that point and realized that um, I was inadvertently sort of cutting carbs anyway. Um, you know, one of the, the first things to go for me just on a budgeting basis um, was, you know, the bread and the pasta and all that stuff because that was stuff that wouldn't keep me full for very long. So, you know, when you're mm -hmm. counting calories, every calorie matters. And so, you know, would I rather eat a burger or would I rather eat a couple of pieces of toast? I mean, that's a pretty simple exchange to make. I know which one's going to keep me full for longer. Um, so by the time I was really interested in, in keto, I was already probably hovering around the 70, 80 gram of carbohydrate per day range. So not, not keto certainly, but, um, with the exercise I was doing, I was doing it fasted. And I, once I started reading into keto, talking about like the ammonia smell that you get in your nose when you're transitioning into keto, um, I was having a lot mm -hmm. of those uh, things happen while I was exercising and I had no idea what it was at the time, but I think, you know, fasted exercise combined with, a you know, as opposed to the standard American diet, a relatively low carb diet. Um, I think I, I was going in, in and out of ketosis then without really realizing what it was. Um, but once I realized that I only really needed to cut down another, you know, 50 or so grams of carbs, 
it was, it was kind of an easy solution. You know, I saw, um, a lot of people having a lot of success. And one of the things that drew me really was knowing that I had struggled with, um, uh, you know, possibly insulin resistance, um, you know, type two diabetes symptoms in the past, reading about people's experiences with that, I figured, you know, why, why not just take the plunge into that and prevent anything from flaring up in the future. And, you know, after that, it was a pretty straightforward, you know, jump into keto. When, when you started counting calories, were you, did you just like drop them, you know, from like the five or 6,000 you were to, to much lower just, you know, overnight, or did you kind of taper them down gradually? I think once I hit the point, and this is very much me as a person, when I decide I'm going to do something, I just do it. Um, and I believe it was, it was overnight. Um, I know that they, I remember reading the advice of like, oh, track for a few days and see how much you're eating. And I was like, I already know that it's not good. So why bother? You know, like once, once I get it in my head that I'm going to do something, I usually just do it. No, it's good. It's good. It's very good. What, what about, um, like your, your, your binge eating and the eating disorders, was that all before or did that, you know, resurface after you started dieting or what, what was the transition of that? like? Well, it's actually really interesting. So, um, this is why I'm such an advocate for, uh, trying to recover from binge eating, even while eating a keto diet. Um, so I, I had been doing keto for a few, a couple of years. And I, I finally was in was within 10 to 15 pounds of my goal weight. So I had no idea what my goal weight should be when I first started. Um, I picked 140 pounds just because it was within the normal range of my height and everything. So that was just sort of a number to look for. So I think I got down to like 155 or 150 in July of 2015, I believe. And, um, and then over the course of the next few months, um, I was dealing with some, some health issues and things. And I started binging almost daily on all keto food. It was all, you know, sausage and cheese and all of the things that in, in moderate amounts would be perfectly keto friendly. But I ended up regaining about 50 pounds in, in just, you know, three or four months. Um, just because of the binging habit. And um, then, you know, so that definitely, I I had struggled with binging all through my weight loss journey. But I think because I still had so much weight to lose, the caloric impact of it was um, mitigated to an extent. But as you get closer to your goal weight, I feel like it's you have to be a little bit more strict and binging doesn't really allow for that. Um, so, you know, I was constantly in that cycle of eating a whole lot one day and then the next day, you know, I would try to fast the whole day. I, I relied on intermittent, intermittent fasting a lot as a crutch um, to kind of control my eating. And I think that fasting can be wonderful for a lot of people, but I do think that if you do struggle with binging, that you have to deal with that issue first. Um, it's sort of a triage situation where, um, you know, overall fasting can be great for the metabolism. It can be great for 
for autophagy. It can be great for cellular health and, and cancer prevention. But binging is much more immediate. You have to deal with that or it will be very difficult for you to maintain. And I listened to your episode with, uh, was it Christos? Um, talking mm-hmm. about binging. And he he said this was the first time in his life that he's ever been able to maintain a weight. And I knew that, um, you know, if if you want to get to a healthy weight and then maintain that healthy weight, binging cannot be a part of the equation because you'll always be stuck in that yo-yo cycle of, you know, gaining 10, losing 10, gaining 20, losing 15. It's just, and um, so yeah, after I regained that weight, I, I sort of had that realization that it was something that I needed to work on, but I kind of put it off again. Um, I started going to the gym. Um, I started, you know, really, really getting strict with my way of eating. And then um, after, a, you know, a period of time, I was able to get very close to my goal weight, but then the binging sort of resurfaced again. And that was when I discovered the book Brain Over Binge and was able to, um, and a lot of people mistake it as a, a self-help book. And it's really not. Um, it offers like a therapeutic and very logical scientific approach to dealing with really any habit that has to do with intrusive thoughts. So I kind of relate it to, you know, when you're in a a store that's filled with crystals or, um, you know, snow globes or something, and you have that urge to just like smash everything. Um, I relate the urge mm-hmm. to binge very similarly, where it's just this thought that pops into your head. And for some reason, we take that more seriously than we do the urge to break everything in a store or to jump off a bridge that's really high. Um, we know that those urges are counterproductive for our health and our well-being. But I think that that binge eating is sort of um, more culturally acceptable maybe than it should be. We have all these sorts of euphemisms for it um, that make it sound sort of cutesy or um, acceptable. And I think that as a person who has struggled with it, um, it's very painful. Um, the, the guilt, the shame, um, you know, I have the world's most wonderful uh, partner and he is just so supportive, but you know, there were times where I would dread him coming out into the kitchen when I was out here because I would be, you know, shoveling food in my face, you know, feeling, feeling like a a raccoon digging through garbage in your own home is such an uncomfortable feeling. But we come up with all these like cutesy names for it, like eating like a jerk or um, overindulging. And I just I feel like those are too gentle for what it really is. Um, it can cause people to mm-hmm. sort of dismiss it as not a big deal, um, especially when it sometimes comes along with purging, which if you're purging through, you know, forcing yourself to throw up, those can that can have devastating health consequences. Um, you know, esophageal cancer, throat cancer, mouth cancer, um, t- uh, tooth decay. So it's it's a much bigger issue than just um, having an extra dessert on Christmas. And, uh, so yeah, once I, once I read the book, I, I 
sort of was able to put everything into practice and just realized that um, any work that I had to do to get out of that habit was work worth doing because I knew that even if I hit my goal weight and I was very close at that point, it would be impossible to maintain it if I didn't. And, you know, I, I come from a family of, uh, of addicts and I always just assumed that binging was kind of how it showed itself in me. And I realize now that that was a mistake to view it that way um, because I, I've been fully recovered for since May of last year. Um, so that's over a year and a half. I believe it's 18 or 19 months at this point. And um, my relationship with food is incredible. Um, I hit my goal weight last year and have maintained five to 10 pounds below it relatively effortlessly, um, without binging. Um, so it's one of those things where like, um, I guess it's sort of like being a parent, right? Like if you're not one, you can't fully understand what it would be like. Um, I try to explain to people who struggle with binging what it's like to be recovered. And I, I feel like, um, it's not really possible for them to fully understand, you know, sometimes, so I was the kind of person who couldn't have, I thought I couldn't have certain foods in the house and that I would never be able to. Um, nuts, peanut butter, um, cookie, like keto friendly, all this stuff would be keto friendly, but um, even things like um, Quest bars or, you know, more currently, even like, um, you know, I finally got my hands on a keto brick and that would be something that would be completely annihilated the second it entered the house, you know, just two years ago. And um, I used to think that that would just not be a possibility for me. And even, you know, it's it's been over a year and a half. And sometimes when I look in the cupboards or look in the refrigerator where I store this stuff, I get emotional about being able to have it because it doesn't have that pull on me anymore. I guess it would sort of be like, um, you know, seeing your childhood bully out in public and knowing that there's nothing that they can do to hurt you at this point. Like you, you're good, you're confident, you're a healthy human adult mm -hmm. and you can handle whatever they may have to throw at you. It's very much like that for me where it's, it's very emotional because I, I never thought I would get to this place of just, you know, I eat what I eat. And I don't, you know, sometimes I may have like a pang of guilt about it, but I know it's just sort of a residual, you know, we have hangups about food. It's part of being human. Um, but I, I'm not haunted by it anymore. It's, it's very interesting. Like the people that have never experienced or dealt with any kind of eating disorder um, or, you know, bad relationship with food, it, it, it's, they can't relate at all. They may know somebody. Um, but it, like the, the thoughts that go through our minds are totally contrary to anything that they would be able to understand. I mean, like I used to not be able to quantify whether I was hungry or full. Like there was just a disconnect there and I just didn't know what that felt like. And to, to just eat and eat and eat beyond what I knew was necessary for, for any means. My body just didn't need that much fuel. It just was not necessary. And then, but, but to not be able to stop, like that is just a, 
a strange phenomenon. Somebody that, that doesn't have to suffer with that, they just oh, want you to stop eating. But it's like a psychological switch that just does not get flipped. And then after the fact, to just constantly be, you know, beating yourself up and having shame because you weren't strong enough to stop in the moment. I don't know. It's just a, such a negative feedback loop. I would assume it'd be the same for, you know, people with, with just addictions in general, like it's an addictive nature, but it's, it's good that people open up about it and talk about it because you have that relatability factor. And for people that are surrounded by people that do not have that, it's just, you feel so alone. Yeah. And I, I, it's very isolating. Um, and I'm, I'm one of those people who, if there's anything dark about life, bring it out into the light. Um, you know, mental health issues, abuse issues, like I'm not putting it on the victims to, to bring it out, but I feel like as society in general, we need to talk about this stuff because by not talking about it, you're making everybody who suffers from it feel alone. And, um, just an awareness is so incredibly important. And I remember, um, you know, my, my fiance, he has like the world's most healthy relationship with food of anybody that I've ever met in my life. And, you know, he'll sit at his desk at home with boxes of cookies and candy and he doesn't eat keto. Um, but you know, he, he knows all about it. He knows why it works. He, he knows the science behind it and everything. And he, he probably will go that route in the future when, if, and when he needs to. Um, but yeah, he'll, he'll sit at his desk. And I, I used to just be in awe of that. Like, how do you not just eat it all? Like as soon as it's in the house, how do you, and he's like, well, it'll be there. It's going to be there. No one else is going to eat it. So I'll have it another time. But that was so foreign to me, that idea that something would just be there and you could wait until the next day mm -hmm. to eat more of it or eat one portion of it only. Um, but now I get it. Like I bake all the time. I bake keto friendly treats for myself. I eat a portion. The rest goes in the freezer and it sits there until the next time that I eat it and I'm fine with it. Like it doesn't. I'm not sitting here right now thinking, oh, it's been, you know, six hours since I've eaten. Maybe I should just eat six of the cookies that I have in the freezer. And that feeling of freedom is the reason why I never shut up about this, this book, because I didn't, one, I didn't think that this was possible for someone. I mean, I, I binge ate for 20 years and to be in this place of like, I just feel so zen and so calm about food, except for when I'm super hungry. Mm -hmm. And then I turn into like a rage monster, like especially after a hard workout. If I haven't eaten in like, you know, 16 hours, get out of my way. But, um, you know, I don't have that feeling of like panic about you know, oh, I just bought this item and I know it's sitting in the cupboard and I want to eat all of it right now. Like I don't have to struggle with that anymore. And that's the thing, like whether people reach their goal weight or not, or, you know, whatever their, their vanity goals may be about fitting into certain sizes or whatever, that's all fine. But it's, it's the feeling of it that I want to help people with. You know, it's like, if, 
if someone can look at my experience with one, losing that amount of weight, and then two, overcoming the urges to, to binge and see that it could be possible for them, that's all I'm looking for. Um, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but I'm a very private sort of person, kind of introverted. And so for me, like sharing can be really difficult at times about like deeply emotional stuff. But to me, the, the cost or the benefit far outweighs the cost in this particular case. Um, which is why I'm so open about it because I just want other, I want everybody to kind of know that I, I really do feel like if I, if I could do it, then anybody else could. Yeah. I think, I mean, I certainly appreciate that coming from you. I mean, there, everybody has their own battles. Everybody has their own obstacles in life, but whenever one can rally behind somebody that's, that's gone through something similar and, and, to get through it. I mean, it's like, it's like you're able to finally open your eyes. I mean, when I was struggling with food, I would just, that would be my all consuming thought. Like that would be on the forefront of my mind at all times. I could not focus on things that truly mattered, such as my, my family or my relationships or the people that I interact with on a day to day basis. Cause I would just be thinking about the next meal or the, the past meal that I overconsumed. But when you, when you remove that, just, cloak of distraction that whatever that addiction is for you then you just i mean you experience life and life is such a beautiful thing and it's so short to not be able to experience it at its fullest because you have these these demons whether it be food or whatever you know that that right there is freeing right and that was that was definitely my experience too i mean food was constantly in the forefront of my mind and um, you know, it was just, I was just obsessed with the thought of, like you said, thinking back on the last meal that I had overeaten and then thinking about the next meal that I could overeat on. And, and that was the thing that was particularly disastrous for me with intermittent fasting was I really needed to sever that, um, that relationship between eating a really large amount of food and the the signals that that was sending to my brain that like that was how we we eat or that that's how we enjoy food is by eating a lot of it all at once um and you know now i can now i can fast no problem um but before i dealt with the binge eating issue it was it was a pretty severe cycle of you know, I, I think it was just confusing to my brain because I was trying to tell it that um, food was all around. It was no big deal. We could eat whenever we wanted. But then I was also saying, but you can only eat one meal at the very end of your day. And it has to be fifteen to 1600 calories all at once. And you're going to be way too full at the end of it. Um, I think that, that that signal was just, it was very confusing. So once I started kind of uh, transitioning away from the fasting, the addressing the binge eating was was uh, way more effective. It, I um, sometimes I, I refer a, a to it point. as uh, sanctioned binging, the uh, the one meal a day. But 
it's it works really well for some people and and if you don't have an issue with binging then then fast to your heart's content but i i really do feel like the binging is the issue that has to be dealt with first i completely agree and i'm really glad you bring that up because i think a lot of people hide behind the the fasting protocol as a, a way to justify the binge yes and you know for me as a coach i see that a lot with clients they'll even on a smaller level, they'll, they'll miss their macros for the day, or they'll overeat a little bit, or they'll, you know, try and compensate the next day by fasting longer. And it just becomes this negative feedback loop that, that kind of leads to the yo-yo dieting approach. And I always encourage people just to, you know, rather than doing that, just be consistent with it, chalk off, you know, the, the mistake made the prior day as a mistake and learn from it and just get back on track moving forward. But when you get into this overcompensation, you know, feedback loop, it just, it's a slippery slope. Um, and I, I definitely don't think fasting should be incorporated at all until you've got a healthy relationship with food. Because if you deprive yourself of food to fast simply to only reward yourself at the end of it with, you know, an abundance of food, it, it just it it becomes doing everything for the wrong reason, and it's a very unhealthy relationship. Right. Yeah. And I, I recently kind of experienced a reawakening of some issues. I tried to go uh, zero carb. I was going to do it for a week just for fun. I've been in maintenance for over a year. And honestly, at this point, keto feels very easy for me. It's just a natural choice. I've been eating this way for, at this point, six years. So it's like old hat. Um, so I was like, you know, I'll, you know, this is kind of trendy right now. I'll just give it, I'll give zero carb a try. The very first day I had like a full blown panic attack in my kitchen because I felt extremely restricted. And after all the work that I've done achieving this extremely healthy and balanced view of food in my life, it was like the craziest feeling where I felt like I was just going backwards at a very, very quick pace. And, um, you know, it, it could have easily, you know, I, I thought originally that I was going to tough it out, but um, I'm really grateful to my partner for being here and always questioning whether I'm being stubborn or disciplined. Um, that's always a helpful question for me to ask myself because I tend to be very disciplined, but I also tend to be very stubborn. And so, mm. you know, knowing when to tough things out um, like I'm really big on Tim Ferriss and his use of the phrase voluntary hardship and, you know, pushing yourself to do things that are uncomfortable. I wouldn't be an endurance athlete without having that mindset. Um, but yeah, you have to know the limit of, you know, when is this a worthwhile struggle to put yourself through and when, when is this kind of deescalating into some sort of territory where you know we've worked really hard to to move away from that why are we heading in that direction again so i think um you know this is the first time in my life that i've ever maintained a healthy weight um so it's all been a very interesting learning experience for me where it's like sometimes you just have to be okay with where you are like you don't need to shake things up or you don't need to have these crazy lofty goals. Like someday maybe I would want to cut more body fat so I can get abs for the first time in my life. That might be fun. But like, do I need to go super hard and only eat, you know, 1200 calories a day and only eat ground beef for a month to achieve it? 
like sometimes it's okay to just be okay for a while. Like you don't always have to be ready to achieve superhero status. Yeah, I definitely think there's like a like a recovery period that exists between any, you know, goal or accomplishment. Like you need time to reflect on what you've just accomplished before you can move to the next thing. And if you don't take that reflection time, it it just your life becomes a blur. Like you don't learn anything from the mistakes and the lessons learned because you don't ever take the time to reflect on what that truly meant and what that truly taught you. So I totally understand and respect what you're saying there. Yeah. And I, I appreciated um, one of your episodes that I listened to recently, you talked about um, even, you know, something just not even on an emotional level, but on a physical level, you know, when you, you kind of go through seasons where you may cut for, for a competition for a period of time, but then you need that period of time afterwards to sort of let your, your physical body relax too, you know, feed it adequately so you can rebuild that tissue that you may have lost while you were cutting super hard for the, you know, for prep and everything. And I feel like that's lost on a lot of people. And I definitely went through periods like that during my weight loss where, you know, there were, there would be months here and there where I was just maintaining. But to me, that was an achievement because I had never been able to maintain before. You know, I was constantly putting on weight. Yeah, absolutely. So it, I, I feel like too, and kind of going back to the fact that it took me six years to lose all the weight. Each day in that six years was an opportunity for me to learn something from it. You know, if I, if it had only taken me a year, a year and a half to lose that weight, I don't know if those lessons would have been, would have had the same staying power. Um, you know, I guess like, like what you were just saying, you need time, you know, every 10 pounds lost, maybe it's appropriate to kind of take a step back and say, okay, I've lost another 10 pounds. What does this mean? Where am I headed? And, you know, taking the time to kind of soak in the achievement and then assess where you're going to go from there. I feel like everybody's in such a rush to get from A to B and they don't realize that there's, there's value in those small moments in between those big goals that they could learn a lot from. And you take it with you. Nothing that I've learned in this, in this process has been wasted at all. Um, even regaining 50 pounds, mm -hmm. like I learned so much from that. I learned that I need to have an upper level set point for my weight. If I see it go even a pound above that, I know it's time to get back to doing the hard work. Um, I know now that having exercise as a, a part of my day is incredibly important to me because it, it becomes that positive feedback loop of moving my body, wanting to eat better so I can move my body. So I want to eat better. And it just goes on and on. And I also feel like, um, you know, this, this whole process has really shown me that truly a life is built of habits. So what you do on one day in one week and one month ultimately comes out in the wash. But if, if you let those, those days become weeks, become months, become years, that's when you run into trouble. So I got to over 300 pounds by putting the blinders on. And so my goal for the rest of my life 
in all things in you know in politics in reading in education in health and fitness i won't be putting those blinders on because i know that that's exactly how these these bad habits form you know we take the easy way out one day and then the next day it's like well i took the easy way out yesterday and it didn't cause me any problems so i'll just do it again today and just one more day and one more day and and then you know before you know it you're in a place that you thought you wouldn't want to end up again. And you know, the, the beautiful thing about that is that it works in reverse as well. Like if you, you have a good goal, a positive aspiration or a positive habit, they chip away on day by day and put, put blinders on in a good sense. Mm-hmm. Um, then that also compounds and has an exponential effect. And, you know, that can lead to you accomplishing any goal. And that's, oh, yeah. I don't know. That's the cool thing. Life, life is a summation of your habits and your day-to-day activities. Like, what you do today on a day-to-day basis equals the person you become. And I think when you look at it in that context and you analyze your past 24 hours, you can be honest with yourself. You know, like, what did I do in the past 24 hours that is moving me closer to my goal? And if you can't say anything, then you're going nowhere in life. Whereas if you can say and point out multiple things that have moved the needle, even a fraction of of a movement, but at least in the right direction, that compounded you know exponentially over time that that is is a beautiful thing right and that's something too like um you know i i try to speak to this quite a bit because as someone who you know i i struggle with a a couple of fairly life-altering chronic illnesses and sometimes that that movement toward your goal is like the tiniest movement that you could ever imagine, but the only wrong way to go is backwards. Like sometimes a, a goal that you can have for the day is to just be, and that's, that's fine. Like sometimes that's all you can achieve. As long as you're not heading backwards, it's okay. So like just giving yourself enough grace to realize that like you can, you can stay the same for a day, or you can move forward, but you're not going back. Um, Sometimes, you know, that's helpful. As I said, I'm very stubborn. So I feel like, you know, I don't want to have those zero days. And I I generally am lucky enough not Mm -hmm. to. But just knowing that that is an option, you can kind of hit the pause button on life for a day if you need to, and it's not going to hurt. Um. As long as you're not, you know, yeah, give, stopping it. Grace. Oh, we, had a, we had a lag there. Yeah. Giving yourself grace and being okay with, with doing that is, is something I probably need to work on as well. I think a lot of type A personalities specifically, it's, um, it's easy to beat oneself up if you don't move the needle forward, but it's also a necessary part of making moving forward quickly sustainable. Right. Yeah. And in order to have those those periods of time where you are like a Formula One racer, you have to... <laughs> you know, you have to fuel up, you have to have your tires changed. It, it's just a part of, it's a part of the whole process. So, and trust me, that is something That's that true. I struggle with an, to an extreme degree. Um, I, you know, even on my worst days, I get movement in um, because I, I do find that overall it helps me feel better. You know, it's like one thing I can control. It's just like with keto. It's like if I, if I'm feeling miserable, I would never, ever think, well, I might as well just eat a bunch of bread. 
because that's going to make me feel worse. That's a net negative on my life. And it's hard for me to even relate to people sometimes when they're like, oh, I'm so stressed. I just need to eat carbs. And it's like, but you know that you're already stressed and then you're you're putting yourself in a position to feel even worse physically and mentally because you know you're going to feel guilty about it afterwards. And it's like, you just, my big thing is you have to love the food that loves you back. And I feel that way kind of about everything. Like if you, if you find an activity that you really love that you would miss on a rest day, that's the activity you should do. And, you know, with food, it's the same thing. You have to you have to fuel yourself. You're the only person who can take care of you. So, and, you know, food and, and exercise is such a huge component of that. And nobody's going to do it for you. Yeah, I 100% agree with you on that. Like that is, you know, what you put in your mouth and the activity that you exert in a day are two variables that you have 100% complete control over. And if everything else is falling down around you, but you you know, you maintain those two things, or if you maintain just one of those things in a day, you've got at least some foothold on the day. You've got, you've got enough leverage to pull yourself back up for tomorrow. Whereas if you let everything fall, it becomes that much harder to get back up. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a big thing that I see in, in our community a lot is like, you know, when people do struggle emotionally, they tend to fall back on, on some old habits, which I think is human and it's natural, but it is one of those things where it's like, you know, I view, I don't really do the typical self-care stuff. You know, I don't do like a soak in the bathtub. I don't go get a manicure. I don't, you know, do all of those things. To me, my ultimate in self-care is exercise, any sort of movement and feeding myself well. And if I can do those two things in a day, then like you said, that I can, I can count that day as a general positive, even if everything else is kind of falling apart. And I, that's a huge mind mindset change for me because I, you know, I spent the first 25 years of my life ignoring what my body needed from me. And so to have that now, you know, I'm, I'm extremely grateful that I found it at a relatively young age, instead of, you know, there are some people out there who still struggle with that in their 60s and their 70s. And, you know, now they have the beginnings of dementia and Alzheimer's and cancer and all that stuff. And it just, you know, I I feel lucky that it didn't take me as long as it, it takes some others. But that's kind of why I'm a part of this community, right? Like, get the message out there, get people on board you know, be an advocate for the lifestyle and show what's possible if, if they put in the the time. It's not even really work because it's, it's more about what we don't eat than what, what we have to do. Right. (laughs) We just, if we just don't eat something, then we'll be better off. Absolutely. I think, you know, that, that is key. Like making the, the transition and the shift to this healthier lifestyle not necessarily like a, a, you know, overbearing task or item of work to do in a day, but simply just, you know, just the norm, just the reality, just the day to day. And it becomes much less, you know, overbearing and much easier to, to accomplish. Um, so yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right there. This whole podcast, I mean, I, like I, I imagine myself in someone's shoes that is struggling with this, you know, they listen to this podcast and, and, 
I feel like have so much more of a, a light as far as what direction to take things. You know, if you, you know, if you were in a room with somebody that's, you know, struggling with their weight and they're, they're just lost apart from giving them this podcast, what, what would you say to them? Like, what would your, what would be your words of wisdom or advice uh, to get the, the ball moving in the right direction? Honestly, just, just start. Um, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm really, really big on habit. And I think that the mistake, the, the number one pitfall that I see is that there are so many people who, you know, come January 1st or, you know, six weeks out from, from swimsuit season or whatever, they want to do this complete and total overhaul of their entire lifestyle, the way that they eat, the movement that they're doing, all of that. And I really, I mean, this is so cliche, but it's, you, you start one thing on one day. So for example, say you want to be someone who exercises early in the morning, but you tend to sleep until nine o'clock and it's a struggle for you to get out of bed. One day, set your alarm for six o'clock in the morning, get up, have the most delicious coffee that you can imagine, sit, be reflective with your thoughts, read the newspaper, do a crossword puzzle, whatever it is that you enjoy doing in the quiet of the morning and have it be an enjoyable experience. The next day, go for a 10 minute walk when your alarm goes off. The following day, make it 20 minutes. Make a change that you can commit to for a period of time long enough that you can set it on autopilot and you don't have to think about whether you're going to do it anymore. You just do it like it's part of your day. Like I never, when my alarm goes off at three in the morning, I'm never like, should I get up? No, I just get up because that's just what I do. It doesn't take, it doesn't even take motivation or willpower at this point. It's just automatic. And that's what I think people should look for. They should look for making one change, doing it for two weeks until they no longer have to think about it, and then pick something else, pick a new thing to change. So you started getting up early and, okay, so now you want a gym membership. Now get up early and start going to the gym or get up early and do some meal prep for your day. I know preparation is huge. If you don't feel like you have enough food, you may reach for McDonald's or you may reach for the pizza place. So get up early, get your lunch for work ready. Um, and then once you're packing a lunch every day, set that to autopilot, that becomes part of your routine, pick something new. So like, I just think it's so important for people to realize that one, they don't have to be perfect the very first day that they commit to a change. They can make more changes as they go. It's not a big deal. Like you don't, you don't have to be excellent right away. And also realizing that these things don't take constant work. The goal is that it gets easier with time. It's not a struggle every single day. You, if you, if you make all the changes at once, it's a huge struggle to keep up with all of it. But if you make one small change at a time, each change is easier to deal with. And then especially once it's a habit, you don't think about it at all. And, um, I think that people overlook that and they think that, 
um, these lifestyle changes will be difficult forever. And just realizing that they're difficult for a couple of days. And then after that, it's if you really stick to your routine, it's really not tough at all. You just you just do it. Power of habit and routine. That right there. I mean, consistency and discipline, habit and routine. Those those are like the four pillars right there. Right, and it's not fun. It's not. I mean, it it can be fun, but it's not like this. You know, intriguing, um, exciting thing. You know, there's there's nothing really flashy about it. It's not going to be a news headline. And I think that that's kind of what gets people. You know, I get questions all the time about how I stay motivated and that's always my answer. It's like, I'm not, you know, but you don't need to be. I'm not motivated to pay my bills sometimes. I'm not motivated to, you know, brush my teeth. I'm not motivated to fold my laundry, but I do it because it's part of my day. It's, it's part of what I do. And, you know, at that point, it doesn't even, you're not even relying on motivation or discipline. You're just relying on routine. And that's perfect because you don't have to think about it. And I, I really feel like the human brain Absolutely. is well, well designed for routine. I mean, that's why you hear about people, you know, I, I hate to use such a tragic example, but people like leaving their children in the car when they go into work and forgetting to take them into their daycares. It's like, it's because our brains are so well adapted to create habits that we just go about on autopilot, not realizing what we're doing all the time. So it's sort of like, I hate to use this word, but it's sort of like you're hacking your brain, you know, you're, you're making it create these habits, and then you have to do less work every day. Yeah, I think, you know, taking stock of what your habits are, you know, now, like, if you're not where you want to be in life, then take stock of what habits you currently have, you're going to recognize habits that you have that you don't even realize. And then, you know, figure out what needs to happen kind of reverse engineer from there to make those habits a reality. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's a big one for me with goal setting in general. I think of the kind of person that I want to be in the future and what I need to do in this moment or on this day or this month to get there. It's not like, um, you know, I, I, I don't really have a lot of short-term goals. They're more like overarching long-term goals just because I feel like that's more effective for me anyway. Um, but yeah, really taking stock of habit. And then I guess another piece of advice is just being incredibly self-aware. Um, you, no, no one of us gets to an unhealthy place in life by being self-reflective. I feel like, um, it always requires some semblance of ignoring our, our body's signals, ignoring our brain signals. So the second you start really honing in on those and reflecting, even if it's like, you know, starting a journal or jotting down or even having a conversation at the dinner table about like what good things and what bad things happen during your day, just taking some time to really take stock of where you are and thinking about it is, I think, a huge component of any lifestyle change, but in particular weight loss, because food is all around us all the time we're always going to have food around. We can't, you know, we can't not eat. It's not an option. So we have to come up with ways to eat that make us feel our best and our most healthy. And in order to do so, you have to be thinking about, 
oh, I ate this for dinner and now I feel like this. What does that mean? Or, you know, where should I go from here? Maybe I should cut this out. Like I recently had to cut out most of the vegetables that I was eating because they were making me feel terrible. And I'm sad about that. But at the same time, it's like, well, if it's not making me feel good, then why do I want to spend time preparing it and eating it? And it's not really much of an enjoyment if I'm just going to feel terrible afterwards. So, but you have to, in order to get to that point, you have to reflect on how you feel, what you're thinking. And it's not fun. Sometimes it's quite painful, but it's just something that has to be done if you want to grow and change. I completely agree. I mean, everything that you said has resonated well with me because I don't know, it's the the principles you're talking about. Those are the, the principles that I've tried to incorporate myself whenever I'm trying to reach any goal in life, regardless of what genre it is. And it, it all bleeds over. It all, you know, becomes one and meshes together and has like a symbiotic nature. So just creating a lifestyle around those habits, around those routines, everything else builds from it. Um, and everything else gets better. So, yeah, I think I think you nailed it on the head there. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's the thing too. I think people don't realize that by making a change in one area of their lives, how much better all of it can get. Um, and if if more people understood that, then I think that that we'd have a lot more people, you know, feeling more successful and more positive about the process. Because, like I said, it it can be really daunting. It can feel like, you know, you have all these decisions to make every single day and just knowing how accessible it can be, um, I hope resonates with, with someone out there, you know, knowing that, you know, I didn't go from 300 pounds to, to 130 overnight. It took a long time, but it was a learning process. There, there wasn't a second of that that was wasted. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why it's so important. You know, that's why I wanted to have you on here and, and share your story because I think, you know, anybody in life, regardless of where they're at, would benefit from that message alone, you know, and, and that, that's just power at your fingertips, knowing that given time and consistency, you can reach whatever it is your goal may be. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I certainly appreciate you jumping on here and, and telling your story because I've, I've benefited from it. Oh, thank you. I I can't express to you what an honor it is. I mean, you've been someone who's been really influential to me in regards to just the the whole fitness community. It's just um, you know, you're you're such a great example of just that consistency, that that effort and also the balance of, you know, you're not cutting for a competition 11 months out of the year, you know, expressing to people that you know, you mm-hmm. can be a natural bodybuilder, you can build muscle this way of eating, but you don't have to, like I said, you don't have to be in superhero mode all the time. You know, you can take those breaks, you can enjoy life. And, but enjoying life doesn't mean that you go off the rails and, you know, eat pounds of cake, <laughs> like that you can, you can have yeah, that, yeah, exactly. you can enjoy food without going crazy with it and eating in a way that's going to be ultimately unhealthy. So I, I really appreciate, you know, the opportunity to, to chat with you and, and, um, you know, like I said, you've, you've been influential on, on my journey too. So it's, it's really great. Well, well, thank you very much. I certainly do appreciate that. We'll, we'll definitely have to, to keep in touch because I'm eager to see 
you know, where you take the journey going forward. Um, it, I mean, it's, it's, you have an inspiring story, so I'm, I'm excited to see where you take it, you know, because you can literally accomplish whatever you set your mind to. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And, well, you know, my, my whole goal is to just reach, you know, reach as many people as possible. Um, and just, you know, help, help people realize that they, they can feel better. Like it, it doesn't, life doesn't have to be, life is hard enough. It, it doesn't have to be more difficult because of food or because of, um, you know, something that can be controlled. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, where can people go to, to find out more about your story and, and get in contact and follow up with you if they'd like? Um, well, the only social media that I really use is Instagram. Um, and uh, my username on Instagram is bacon and underscore Megs. Um, and yeah, I'm open to any and all direct messages. You know, if you want to follow me, that would be great. Um, I try to post fairly thoughtful, you know, ways of starting conversations. And I just want to get as much of this difficult stuff out in the light as possible. So people don't, don't feel like they have to struggle with it alone. So, but you know, no one has to hesitate to reach out to me via direct message. I'm always available. So. Well, I will definitely link out to that because any way that would benefit from talking with you, um, you know, you've got a, you've got a good story, a lot of inspiration there. So I will certainly do whatever I can to help send more people your way. Oh, thank you. I, I do appreciate that. Well, Meg, it has been an absolute pleasure. I certainly appreciate your time. And uh, we will definitely have to keep in touch because, like I said, I want to follow up and see where you take things going forward. Okay, sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Meg. Have a good one. You too.